the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, you know, it's not too often that we, uh, you know, get CUSA coaches on the show, but today we are uh, extremely lucky to have a repeat offender, <laughs> as uh, as they say, <laughs> with another CUSA uh, coach joining the show today. Uh, Butch Davis from FIU once again talking to us about the offseason and how the Panthers are preparing for the 2020 season. Uh, Joe Londrigan and Eric Henry here with you once again. But uh, before we jump into it, Coach, uh, can't thank you enough for coming back on the show. No, it's always a pleasure. Uh, it's always fun to start talking about football 2020. Uh, you know, you kind of miss football after bowl games are over with and after recruiting's over with. You got a little bit of dead time, but. Uh, you know, it's always great to talk about football and the excitement about the 2020 season. Certainly true. It'll be here before we know it. And, uh, of course, Mr. Eric Henry, my partner in crime, how are you today? Doing all right. I was just joking around with Coach that, you know, we're uh, lucky to live in South Florida and we have the luxury of uh, another beautiful 85-degree uh, day. So I know you're not probably as as, uh, as pleasured up there in Portland, Oregon, <laughs> but uh, we're doing it down here in South Florida. Certainly not, but uh, I know we'll get there in time. Uh, Coach, I know you're on a tight schedule, so I uh, did want to start no talking to you about the uh, 2020 campaign as well as you know some of the things that have gone on with the program in the last uh, calendar sure. year or so. But, uh, Eric, I believe you wanted to uh, start the interrogation this morning. <laughs> it, it won't be much of an interrogation. I hope over the past two seasons of covering the team, it hasn't felt like an interrogation when I've asked coach questions. But where I'll go ahead and start off is uh, kind of where we left off at the end of the 2019 season. And I've, I've asked you this um, before, but I just want to ask it for our broader conference USA audience. One of the final things we said at the Camellia Bowl press conference was that, you know, one of the things that was most disappointing to you was the, the, the level of inconsistency the team played with all year. And that one of the things you want is that there's going to be a whole hell of a lot of changes in the way we do things to be significantly different, a major one being with the discipline with which we play. So just piggybacking yep. off of that, Coach, you sure. uh, had a couple of staff changes. You had uh, added DJ McCarthy is going to be now your special teams coach, well, Joel Rodriguez in the offensive line, and Andrew Swayze will pick up uh, training the kids. And I uh, just want to let yeah. you go ahead and take from there as far as how those additions are going to help you those things yeah. up. Uh, great question, Eric. Obviously, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about those three individuals and the impact that they've already had, you know, within the football program. And then we'll kind of touch base a little bit about some of the inconsistencies and a little bit of some of the disappointments in last season. But from an impact standpoint of how those three guys, you know, I'm going to talk about Andrew Swayze. Andrew was a strength and conditioning coach with me at the University of Miami and, and obviously an enormous uh, part of the success of the program while we were there. And, and uh, you know, he was there for probably 15, 16 years, the number of unbelievable great athletes that he trained and, and helped them get into the NFL and, and made them a significant, you know, impactful players, you know, during the football season. And this will just give you a little tiny bit of a touch. Uh, the previous year, we only had two players on the entire football team that could squat 500 pounds, okay? And that's out of 100 and probably 109 football players. Well, in six weeks of the off-season conditioning program, we currently now have 17 players that are squatting over 500 pounds and probably another 12 to 15 that are over the 450 that are getting close to 500. So from a strength standpoint, it's been unbelievable. Uh, 
you know, he helped, you know, with speed and condition because he's got a great track background and speed development. So, you know, I think he and his staff, they've really had a, a major impact in the last eight weeks of our off-season conditioning program. Uh, when you take a look at DJ McCarthy, I mean, he's been a terrific coach. Uh, he's coached on multiple levels. He was at LSU. He's been in the NFL. He worked with some special teams at the Oakland Raiders. And, um, you know, he's a terrific recruiter. So adding him to the staff, I think, is really going to have an impactful, uh, you know, on, on not only the preparation during the course of spring practice, but obviously during the fall when we get start getting into training camp in August and during the season. Uh, there was a lot of things during the course of the season that was inconsistent with our special teams. Uh, I thought that we were somewhat inconsistent and not very productive on kickoff returns. Uh, once we lost Maurice Alexander, who was one of the best punt returners probably in all of college football, certainly in 2018, a little bit into 2019, uh, we didn't create very many big plays in the, in the punt return to flip, uh, you know, to try to flip field position. And, uh, you know, so that was a, an issue. Then obviously, you know, we missed uh, you know, we missed a lot of field goals. We missed eight field goals. We missed two extra points. And some of those had a dramatic impact in whether or not we had a chance to win the game or win the game. So, you know, so I think that DJ is going to make a big impact. Uh, Joel Rodriguez, uh, the offensive line coach that I've hired, uh, I recruited him. Uh, I knew him in high school. He did a terrific job as a starter at the University of Miami, played in the National Football League with the Tennessee Titans. And he was he was charismatic when we brought him in to interview him. I mean, he absolutely just dominated the room with all of our uh, offensive coaches, Rich Skrosky, our offensive coordinator. I mean, we just looked at each other and said, you know what, this is exactly what we need. We need somebody that's bringing, you know, unbelievable energy and somebody that can build great relationships uh, with the kids that we, we signed uh, five offensive linemen for in last year's recruiting class. And then we've got, you know, we've got about eight kids that are coming back. There were young puppies last year, and and uh, we just felt like that that would be a good impact on that. If you go back, guys, and you look at like, okay, what was the disappointments in the 2019 season? Well, one of them was is a significant amount of, of players that missed practices and or games. And I think that a little bit of that certainly had a lot to do with the conditioning aspect of it. A little bit of it had to do with, you know, the inability of some of the things that happened during the summertime. So we had a lot of guys, you know, James Morgan missed one and three quarters of a game. Sage Lewis, who was our best uh, linebacker, missed a significant amount. And then he played several games where he wasn't 100%. So, you know, those kind of things I think, you know, we've taken as a serious about how to prepare and get our kids ready for the start of next season, whether it's off season, spring practice, and certainly over the summertime. And, uh, and then I think the other thing, that is played a big role in, in some of the things was there was not enough competition at at certain positions and uh, one of the things I think that every great football team the Super Bowl teams that I was a part of in Dallas the great teams at Miami and North Carolina is when you've got great position competition it drives you to become the best that you can be it makes you focus on you know you as an individual to get better every single day and uh, and I think for the first time probably now in year four uh, you know, that we're going to, uh, you know, have a significant more amount of that kind of competition at almost every single position. Uh, we lose some really outstanding players, obviously, James Morgan and, uh, Anthony Jones and, and, uh, you know, Stanley Thomas and Sage Lewis. We lost some seniors that are very, very good, 
uh, players, and, and it'll, it, you know, we're, it'll be a, a little bit of a challenge to get the leadership aspect and the performance, but I do think that we've got candidates for that. So that part of it, I think, is very good. You know, the good things, guys, and I'm going to brag on our, our assistant coaches and, and our academic support, we've had the highest GPA in the history of the school with football program, the highest APR in the history of the school, and, uh, and, and the highest uh, graduation rate. You know, that we've graduated almost 92% of the kids in our football program um, over the last three seasons. So, you know, there's a lot of great things going on behind the scenes. And so we're just, you know, trying to move the football program, you know, further uh, down the line. And hopefully we'll continue to get better. And we've gone to three bowl games in a row. And hopefully uh, this will be year four and we'll go again. Coach Davis, since you mentioned that team's gone to three straight bowl games. Coach Davis is 23 and 16, entering his fourth year at FIU with the three bowl appearances being the Gasparilla Bowl, Bahamas Bowl, and the Camellia Bowl. And FIU slated to begin spring practice on Monday, the 16th. Uh, Coach, just kind of piggybacking what we talked about as far as the talent level of this team. Can you kind of assess, you know, where it's come from when you walked into now? I mean, you've added guys just in terms of talking about this year, guys like Tyson Maeva, Jeremiah Holman, Alexi John Baptiste, Chris Whitaker through, through transfer, and also just through recruiting. Just talk about the talent level, how you've been able to increase it, and really at all your yeah. stops, no matter whether it's in Miami or North Carolina and now at FIU. Sure. Yeah, great question. Obviously, I mean, uh, every single year, I mean, the bar to get a scholarship to come to play raises every year. Uh, you know, the objective in every single recruiting class is to try to get guys that are better than what's already on the team. When you come in 2017, you say, okay, you know, you're recruiting guys that hopefully will become starters in, you know, their second year, their third year, and they've got to be better. And, you know, we've, we focus significantly over getting bigger. We focus uh, a lot on the ability to get stronger and most importantly to get faster. In 2017, we only had seven players that broke that ran under 4.7. And, uh, when we added, uh, Andrew Swayze to help with the speed and stuff like that, when we added him to the staff that, um, you know, that number improved last year to that we had 57 players in the off-season program that broke 4-7. And I think it was evident in the Miami game. When we played in Miami, I mean, you know, you could just see the speed. Guys flying to the football, guys in the, in the secondary covering guys. You know, Anthony Jones popping through the line of scrimmage and going 37 yards, and nobody could run them down. And so, you know, that's uh, that's been a historical, you know, part of my belief in trying to build a football program is, and I learned it obviously from Jimmy Johnson is, whether it was at Oklahoma State or Miami or the Dallas Cowboys, let's get fast. Let's get fast at all 21 players that are on the field, and and um, to where if you've got great team speed, uh, you can you can generally create opportunities to make plays. Coach, I'm going to ask you about something you know you and I have kind of talked about uh, over the past two years, but it seemed like it was really the Achilles heel last year, and unfortunately, it's, it's the run defense. You know, the secondary has been one of the best in Conference USA, and quite frankly, probably the best among uh, FBS football teams. But I remember talking to you after games, whether it was Middle Tennessee State or FAU or Tulane, where it just felt like that was an issue, just couldn't get fixed. And you talked about you know playing with fundamentals and proper technique and discipline. Uh, what do you think is going to be that next step now to where this is going to become a yeah. for the third straight year? Yeah. 
great, 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 great identity of exactly. After we did, we, we spent about two and a half weeks as a coaching staff in the month of February analytically looking at everything that we did last year and then kind of somewhat comparing it uh, to the 2018 season and winning nine games and winning the bowl game. And, and the one thing that, that dramatically jumped out that – and this is where I have to take ownership on myself, okay? And the expectation with the assistant coaches is the inconsistency and the lack of discipline – that when you don't do your assignment, you can have 10 guys on defense do absolutely exactly what they want, but if one guy busts a coverage and gives up a big touchdown, if one guy gets in the wrong gap and gives up, you know, instead of a two, three, four-yard gain, they give up a 25 or a 40-yard run, you know, those are things that we have got to focus on during these 15 days of spring practice is alignment and assignment and having great discipline and guys doing your job. You know, the athletic ability will take care of itself. And we're going to be bigger and faster and stronger, but we have got to be able to uh, to do your job and assignment. Same thing in the offensive side of it, whether it's, whether it's offensive linemen on protections, you know, with the quarterback identifying how, what the protection is going to be, and everybody's got to be on the same page. We got hurt a lot last year at times when we were forced to have to play a lot of younger guys. Uh, we played two offensive guys in the offensive line that were one was a true freshman and one was a red shirt a red shirt freshman and so you know I understand that they're young you know we've either got to help them grow and learn during the course of the season or we've got to minimize and maybe not put them on the same level that the expectation of guys that have maybe been starters for two or three years so uh, you know so those are some of the things when we lost Maurice Alexander at the receiver position, you know, that was a big part of something that, you know, was the explosive big time plays because he's got tremendous athletic ability and, and, uh, we didn't have the depth of somebody to step in there and take over that responsibility. So, you know, that's going to be a big, uh, a big part of this spring practice is, is we have got to not only create competition, but we got to create depth at just about every single position. And, uh, I'm excited about it. I think our coaches and I think our, our players are geeked up about, the idea of can't wait to get started next week and uh, realize, you know, what we want to try to accomplish. I'll give it my last question. I'll get ready to pass it to Joe after this one. I'll have plenty of time to ask some questions on Monday next week when we start spring practice. Uh, just want to talk about the the UCF series. You know, uh, you're able to add that series where you'll head to Orlando in 2020 and uh, the Knights will come to Miami in 2022. Uh, just talk mm-hmm. about that for a second. We didn't chance to compete against what arguably may be the best team in, uh, among the group of five teams and maybe one of the best teams in the nation. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you what. They did, they've done a phenomenal job. Uh, you, you know, I can remember being back at the University of Miami as the head coach and kind of in the, in the young, early days of that UCF program and, and uh, you know, looking at them and going, you know what, you know, one of these days these guys are going to be pretty good. And I kind of use – ourselves i mean we've only been in existence with a football program now i think for this was our 16th season next year will be 17th season and as you grow your program you know they're a great model and uh you know they're in in the same place like we are uh access to terrific athletes in the state of florida 
uh, recruiting kids and getting them to stay. And they've done a phenomenal job in building facilities and, and uh, you know, their, their program, you know, they put themselves in a situation. They are kind of somewhat the 2000 and uh, teen version of maybe like Boise State that they jumped out when Boise State was, was on fire and they beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl and, and, uh, you know, and, and everybody thought, well, it's a, it's just a miracle. It's only going to happen once. Well, it happens quite a bit at Boise State now and the same thing's going on at UCF and, and, uh, you know, I know that we, we play them this, this coming year in 2020, the second game of the season. And, and, uh, you know, it'll be a great measuring stick for us, uh, motivation from the standpoint of playing somebody that good, that talented, that early. You know, you don't have four or five weeks into the season to say, okay, we got to get ready by week five or six. We got to get ready early. And, uh, you know, they're doing a great job. Coach, going back to that Miami game that you mentioned, I think for a lot of FIU supporters who have kind of watched this program evolve over the last 10, 15, 20 years, seeing the Panthers beat the Hurricanes in Hard Rock Stadium was definitely the high point of last season for them. Uh, what do you think that win meant for the program, regardless of the result of the season as, uh, at large? Yeah. Well, I, th- I think it caught a lot of people's attention. I think certainly uh, recruits, I mean, there was kids that were on the fence that, uh, you know, that they weren't sure if they wanted to wait and see if there was going to be a Power 5 so-called school that they might get. And then as soon as we won that game, a lot of kids were like, hey, I'd love to come and be a part of that program. I know what you're capable of doing. And, uh, uh, you know, so from a recruiting standpoint, I think it did. I think outside the state and across the country, you know, it, I think it caught people's attention. I think without question, you know, it played a role in, in, in our being, you know, uh, bowl eligible. It helped, uh, you know, the bowl people to realize, hey, look, here's a program that just beat a team that's won five national championships. And, uh, uh, you know, so from that standpoint, it had a lot of impact on it. I think, and who knows? I mean, you hope what it did was is for alumni and, and for students and, and those kinds of people, you hope that it kind of, sets them a little bit on fire that they want to be a part of in a in in a more significant roles of helping us build this program whether it's attendance and coming to games whether it's donations and and helping us you know you know continue to to upgrade the facilities and do all those kinds of things so uh you hope that a game like that you know really catches an awful lot of people's attention and hopefully it uh will help us uh you know in the future You've mentioned a few different things that have had a positive impact on recruiting over the course of this conversation. Uh, Once again, you guys made waves in the recruiting space this year with the number three signing class in Conference USA, according to 247 Sports. Uh, What excites you the most about this incoming signing class as a whole? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, there's there's some obviously impactful five offensive linemen. Uh, that I think that that, you know, if you're going to win and you're going to be talented, you got to win in the offense and the defensive line. So from that standpoint, you know, we don't get any credit, okay, in those rankings from 247 or any of the other deals because they don't add in the transfers. And you look at Chris Whitaker and Alexi uh, Baptiste, you know, two defensive ends that came in from Kentucky and Arkansas. You don't look at I had J.J. Holloman, a transfer from the University of Georgia that started for them two years ago as a wide receiver. So all of those kinds of kids, Josh Turner, a corner that transferred in from, from Iowa, these are kids that were from Florida. They wanted to come back or they wanted to come and be a part of a program that could help them continue to, 
to improve and maybe get to the next level. So, you know, so we're excited about those kids. Tyson Maeva from Boise State, that was their starting middle linebacker for two years. You know, those are kids that they're experienced, they're veterans, they're older, and uh, it's not like some of those kids are going to be freshmen that are going to be coming in. They're going to be there, and they're either redshirt sophomores or they're juniors, and uh, and then you add them with the freshmen. I, I'm very impressed by our two wide receivers that we signed, uh, Teddy Richardson and Xavier McGriff. Those two kids, they were mid-year enrollees. They've been there now for about eight weeks, and uh, they've done an excellent job in the off-season conditioning, and you can, you can see – you know, why they're explosive and the, and the, you know, potential that those two kids have. Uh, so it's just, you know, you're like everybody else until you get them there and you, get, you start practicing with them, you know, you hope that your, your enthusiasm is, is, you know, is legitimate. And uh, so we'll see, you know. Certainly. I know we're interested to see how uh, those guys uh, develop in their collegiate careers. Uh, your quarterback actually staying on the offensive side of the ball. James Morgan is a friend of the show as well. Yep. We certainly wish him the best as he pursues a uh, pro career. Uh, with him leaving, how do you feel about the future of the quarterback position with the Panthers? Yeah, well, this will be an interesting uh, you know situation because obviously in year one, you know Alex Magoo was you inherited him and and he was terrific. He had great work ethic. He was a, an excellent athlete. Uh, he had his best year of his entire career, and it got him drafted by the Seattle Seahawks. And so, you know, the next year there was not much depth on the team and stuff, so we went out and, and got uh, James Morgan as a grad transfer who came in. And, you know, he had two excellent years and obviously, you know, went to all-star games, went to the NFL Combine. And I think, you know, I think he's going to be a six, seven, eight, ten-year NFL uh, guy, you know, that's going to make those teams and play for a long time. This year, for the first time, now we've got some young guys, okay, that we're really trying to focus on. They're gonna, we're gonna rotate all three of these guys and uh, give each one of them equal opportunities to work with the first team, see how productive they are. Uh, you know, they've worked really, really hard. We've had close, uh, you know, meetings with them at the end of the season about these are the things that we have high expectations for you to improve on. If you're going to be the starter for us in September of 2020, this is what you need to do, whether it's, whether it's the mental aspect, whether it's the fundamental physical aspect or whatever, that's, you know, things that each one of them that we've got to try to do. So uh, I'm excited Monday to, to see him go out there and actually get a football and start throwing. And, uh, uh, you know, and I think, you know, I'm optimistic about how they're going to play. I know we are too. It's a whole different games when they put on pads and not just wearing tight tank tops and, yep. and bicycle shorts, right? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> for sure. Uh, speaking of departures, uh, I know you guys are losing uh, Devontae Taylor, who is uh, going to FSU. Uh, I know we've, we've talked about the offensive line a little bit over the course of the show, but uh, how are you feeling about how that position group's uh, shaping up? Well, I, I mean, like I said, we just signed five new incoming guys, two of which are junior college transfers. And then we've, then we've got the kids that uh, uh, two of the high school kids that we signed were part of the January enrollee. So you get those two guys with the two junior guys. So we've got four of the five signees will get a chance to go through spring practice. So I'm optimistic about their growth and development. But I also believe that the kids that played last year, uh, Sione Finau, who got a chance to play. Mershon Miller, who got a chance to play as a redshirt freshman. Those guys, I mean, Sione Finau, as, you know, as a true freshman who started like the last five or six games, ended up being 
first team conference USA all freshman team. And, uh, so he's got a huge gigantic upside. He's, he's a lot more confident, a lot better shape, bigger and stronger. Uh, so that part of it is good. You know, we've got two veteran guys with Shane Magoo and, and DeAndre Demery. Those two guys would be the leaders and, uh, of that group. And, um, you know, now it's, it's all about coaching. It's all about them growing and developing and getting better. And, and even like Lindell Hudson, who, uh, played, he was, he probably played about 40% of the time as the right tackle whenever we would give, rotate the three tackles and give, uh, give guys a rest. He got in and as a redshirt freshman, he did a pretty good job. Uh, there's things that he's got to get significantly better at. Uh, but you love the idea of the fact that he's, you know, he's six, seven. Uh, he's got great long arms. He's got excellent feet. He was a basketball player. He's probably 345 pounds. We're trying to get him down into the 320s. And, uh, but he's, he's got some excellent upside. So, uh, I like the pool of the kids. And now it's about them growing and getting better this spring. Coach, last question before we get you out of here. Sure. Uh, six and seven obviously isn't where you guys wanted to end up at the end of last season. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> right. And I know uh, coaches aren't necessarily the nostalgic type, but can you pinpoint a moment where you think if this had gone different, if we uh, you know, had done one or two things better, uh, oh. we could have pushed the season a little further? Yeah, well, absolutely. I think the Western Kentucky game uh, early in the season, instead of winning that game, we missed two field goals. We lose the game by six points. Uh, we get some we created some turnovers. James Morgan gets hurt. Uh, so we don't have him, uh, you know, the best, you know, significantly you could say he's the best player on the team. You'd like to have him. He's a guy that's going to go to the NFL. You'd like to have that quarterback. And, you know, obviously the backup quarterback comes in, did decent, played okay, didn't play great, but didn't make any of the electric plays that you'd like to. Then the next week, after having started one game, he has a phenomenal game against New Hampshire and rushes for almost 200 yards in the game. And you're able to, to kind of set the game plan up around his ability. So I would say that the Western Kentucky game probably made a, a dramatic difference. If James stays healthy, uh, you know, we probably win the game and instead of being 0-2 or 1-1. And, 1 and, 1, and uh, it could have significantly changed the, the whole rest of the season. Panther head coach. Butch Davis uh, joined the show once again. Coach, can't thank you enough for your time. I know you're a busy guy, but we'll uh, we'll let you get out of here. But uh, no. You know what, take- guys? Thank you very much. It's great to be with you, and uh, hopefully a lot of fans will get out, and hopefully you guys will get a chance to come down. And, and by, April the, by April the 3rd, we'll be able to give you a little bit more details about the growth and development of this football team. Perfect. I know we're looking forward to it, Coach. Sounds good, guys. Have a great day. You as well. Have a good one. Mm-hmm. Coach, Monday. All right, we just had Butch Davis, head coach of the Panthers, on the show. Uh, I know we're uh, doubling up on the FIU talk today since we have uh, you know, one of the uh, primary FIU coverage experts on the show every single week with uh, Mr. Eric Henry. So uh, Eric would love to pick your brain a little bit about Panther football for uh, a few more minutes here. Um, I know one of the things we didn't touch on with Coach was uh, the departure of Jose Borregales. Um, From what you've seen, how are they kind of working to – you know, replace the leading scorer in all of Conference USA last season? Yeah, so it's a really interesting situation, right, in the sense that not only are they losing Jose Borregales, but they also lose their backup kickers. Now, I know, you know, those on, on its surface may say, what does it matter for losing the backup, right? Um, Esten TL, Esten Fiel, excuse me, and Thomas Leo were their backup kicker and punter, but they also doubled as the kickoff guys. 
So they only have one live leg in camp right now, which is punter Tommy Heatherly. And Tommy did do a great job, although he had a couple of mishaps. He had a couple of shanks earlier in the year, and I believe he had one late against Old Dominion, it might have been. But, you know, for lack of a better phrase, he was a baseball analogy. You know, you can't, you know, you got to kind of have him on a pitch count. You can't burn out his leg from now until Chase Gabriel, who is the 2020 recruit signee. I should say uh, signee, not a recruit. From, uh, I believe it's Gwinnett, Georgia. It's somewhere in South Georgia uh, is a city that, that uh, Chase is from. But uh, he'll be coming in as a three-star kicker, the guy who has a very powerful leg, special teams coach DJ McCarthy, when I had a chance to talk with him. So that he's really excited about him. You know, I guess he got a chance to see him at one of his soccer games, and he scored five goals there. But Jeff obviously was looking forward to get him on the uh, on the gridiron. So uh, that should be your makeup as far as the kicker and punter duo. However, for the time being, until Chase gets there, until he graduates high school, uh, until you know we know something otherwise, and we'll find out on Monday who else, whether it's a walk on or whether they have anybody else who's come in in the meantime. Tommy Heatherly may be the only leg in camp, and obviously that's going to severely limit what you can do in the kicking game. Certainly makes sense. Uh, people don't realize how hard a good kicker is to replace. So hopefully they're on the right track with that. Uh, and talking uh, to coach, we obviously pointed out the date of the spring game. Uh, and as I have the FIU football schedule for 2020 uh, pulled up now, obviously the UCF game stands out to me as uh, something that's important to you know project the trajectory of the program and all that uh, another one that kind of stands out just in terms of the g5 landscape is uh they play at liberty on saturday september 26th uh obviously liberty's kind of been in the headlines over the last couple of years as far as g5 football goes with bringing in hugh freeze and having a, a few big wins here and there uh that baylor victory a couple years ago stands out to me uh what do you think that game kind of means as far as like you know, projecting where FIU football is as a whole. And, and, you know, I know there's been a lot of conversation about Liberty potentially joining, uh, joining a conference in the next couple of years, but I guess just, is there anything in particular that intrigues you about that matchup coming up in September? You know, that's a really good question, Joe, because of the fact that I know the UCF matchup will get a lot of the headlines because of the fact that they are UCF and they've been very good over the past three years. But I mean, and this isn't to say upsets can't happen. You know, if FIU goes and loses at UCF, that's not a backbreaker, right? But when you go and probably look at a more measurable matchup for them, it's probably Liberty. If they start the season one and one, which you assume they're going to win it, win against Jacksonville State, you lose UCF. Um, and then Liberty games actually the fourth game. So we'll see what happens with Old Dominion, right? But I think that Liberty game could be the one right there where it's not a CUSA opponent. And we saw what happened last year against Tulane where the the two-lane game, I don't want to say that sent them into a free-for-all, but it definitely was the thing where I think a lot of the talk coming out of fall camp was that, hey, the run defense is fit, and we think we've got the talent to do X, Y, and Z. And that first game, you get smacked right in the mouth against a non-CUSA opponent. And, you know, it kind of sets you back, and you're like, okay, we think we're the cream of the crop in CUSA, and obviously FIU was picked by some to potentially win the East. I believe they finished second in the media poll entering last year. And they get smacked in the mouth like that. That kind of sets you back and, you know, kind of realize, okay, we got a long, a long way to go in relation to where we thought we were, right? So to translate that to the Liberty game this year, if you get smacked in the mouth by UCF, you know, you can say, hey, they've been the cream of the crop for the past few years. But if you get smacked in the mouth by Liberty, and once again, you mentioned Hugh Freeze is building a solid program there. If you lose to them, you kind of fall back to the rest of your conference USA play and you follow them up with Middle Tennessee State and Charlotte. And it's like, uh oh, you know, we may have more of an issue than we think. So I think that's a really intriguing matchup. Uh, just really quick, something that Coach Davis, I don't believe he mentioned the quarterbacks by name, and that may have been by design. 
uh, outside of James Morgan, who obviously is graduating. But the three quarterbacks who will be competing for the job will be redshirt junior Kalen Wiggins, redshirt freshman Stone Norton, and then redshirt sophomore Caleb Lynham. And there also is a possibility that they may bring in a grad transfer as well. But, you know, one of, you're hoping by that fourth game, one of those guys jumps out and establishes themselves. It reminds me of 2017, or excuse me, 2018, James Morgan's first year there when James Morgan and Christian Alexander actually shared the quarterback duties until it was right after about the Miami game, which was the final time we saw Christian on the field until the bowl game. And James Morgan uh, took hold of the duties from there. So I think that Liberty game may be, you know, one to really circle for a myriad of reasons. Gotcha. All certainly makes sense. So Eric, recently on UDD, you had a, a good article in terms of how fucked it up again. God damn it. Okay. <clears throat> so Eric, recently on UDD, you had an article on the toughest player to replace on every team. And for the Panthers, uh, went with, of course, quarterback James Morgan, who's, uh, you know, been a, a real rock for that program following, uh, the departure of Alex Magoo for the NFL. Um, we've talked a little bit about the NFL already, um, but I do want to talk about Kalen Wiggins a little more. Um, certainly we saw some flashes from him, but do you think he could be the guy who, you know, replaces James Morgan as far as like the consistent starter for this program? Sure. You know, it's a really interesting question, right? Cause when you look at Kalen, he's actually guys had kind of an interesting journey in his way into FIU. He was recruited by Tulane currently. Tulane head coach Willie Fritz, and then had his offer pulled at the last minute. There was some confusion as far as, you know, the, the circumstances around that. But uh, luckily, he's able to rebound and land at FIU. What we know about Kalen is he's a tremendous athlete. He, like Coach Davis said, he rushed for almost 200 yards. The exact number is 187, in which he set the program record for rushing yards by a quarterback. Granted, it's against New Hampshire, but still, Kalen's shown, whether it's been against other Conference USA teams or in general, that he's going to be a tremendous athlete back there behind quarterback. Now, how will he progress as a passer? You know, the first time I'll get a chance to see is on Monday, right? We'll see what he's able to do behind center, because that's really going to be key. When you look at the receiving court, I have no problem saying this on the record now. If the quarterback position is right at FIU, you could say that FIU will have the best receiving core in all of Conference USA by the end of this year. When you look at Jeremiah Holman, J.J. Holman, as Butch Davis referred to him as, you know, you're talking about a former five-star recruit at the University of Georgia, you know, was making one-handed catches in the, in the Gator Bowl uh, against uh, the Florida Gators, excuse me, in the, um, uh, the Florida-Georgia game against the Gators for fun. You know, then you have Shamar Thornton and if Bryce Singleton is healthy, two solid receivers around him. So it's not that they're not going to have a weapon. It's going to matter – you know, really can Kalen take that, take that next step as a passer, excuse me, and then also follow up, I uh, want to mention Stone Norton. Stone was the highest rated recruit in the history of the program when you talk about the composite rankings, that's 247, Rivals, ESPN.com, et cetera. It's a three-star kid out of Nashville, uh, Davidson Academy, a private school over there, and he has a little bit, I don't want to say a leg up, but he came from a unique situation that he played for former NFL quarterback Jonathan Quinn. So when you, when you talk about the fact that he was running more of a college-style slash pro-style offense in high school, something similar to what FIU runs now, that will give him a leg up as well. So it's really going to be a toss-up joke to answer your question of specificity as to you know, who can really kind of be that next stable leader. Uh, I think Kalen will have first crack at it just by virtue of his you know, seniority in the program. But like I kind of said in my last answer, it wouldn't shock me to be completely you know, transparent if they go with a two-quarterback system until Butch Davis feels that one of them stands out enough. 
Certainly makes sense. Uh, finally, I think one one of the last things I wanted to ask you is uh, this kid, Jacorian Davis Hamilton. Uh, he's been talked about uh, with all of the recruits coming in for FIU in the last couple of weeks. Uh, had scholarship offers from a lot of P5 schools, Ohio State, Auburn, Miami, to name a few. Uh, 6'1", 195 pounds, uh, all-purpose guy from uh, the Orlando area. Uh, the issue there two major knee surgeries on his left knee uh, in the last year or so, I believe. Uh, and he's only 17. Uh, would love to know your take on, you know, whether you think that's a, a good move for FIU to bring this kid in or, you know, if there's really any expectations for him at all. Personally, Joe, I think it's a great move, not only for him, but for FIU, right? So when you look at him, when you look at the 24-7, excuse me, the 247 composite rankings, uh, he's only listed as a three-star guy. That is specifically because of the knee injuries. You're probably talking about someone who, if he's able to remain healthy throughout his high school career, is easily a four- or five-star kid. Now, self-admittedly, I'm not someone who puts a ton of stock into stars and rankings, but take that for what it's worth. You look at his offer list, Auburn, Georgia Tech, Miami, Ohio State, North Carolina, Ole Miss, Virginia. You know, you're talking about power five schools there. So you ask the question, how does he end up at FIU? Once again, those same knee injuries. I think it's a low-risk, high-reward proposition for both he and FIU. I'll start with him. Just my opinion, if he goes to an Ohio State or uh, even a UCF law firm as well or a Syracuse or a Miami, they're going to see that he came from a Popka High School, which is one of the standout programs in the entire state, and expect, you know, maybe that level of production immediately, right? And they won't know his backstory of the two knee injuries, or even if they do, you know, it won't be given necessarily the, the leeway that it probably deserves, or he'll have this spotlight on him and say, hey, you're this, you know, kid from a Popka who's supposed to be a standout kid, a standout player. And you're riding the pine here because of injuries, right? So I think that puts our student takes a lot of the pressure off of him. And you look at from an FIU's perspective, this has kind of been Butch Davis's MO on recruiting for the past three or four years, which is they have, you know, the majority of the recruiting class, or they'll bring in uh, a transfer from another school who they feel solid about that can come in and contribute immediately. But they're going to take a handful of guys who they say are, you know, quote unquote projects. I'll give you one, another guy from that area, uh, the Orlando area, Senator Julius Pierce. He's a guy who was an athletic tight end, you know, not necessarily the most uh, talented maybe in terms of like, you know, power five schools, but they look at him and say, hey, you can be, you know, an athletic, nice tight end, have a solid career at that position, or we can switch you to center, develop you, and you can probably be, you know, a first or second round pick because we think we see your, your potential play out to its fullest as a center. And he makes that move, and that's where they're at with him now. I think it's the same thing with Davis Hamilton. He's an athlete. We don't know if he's going to be, you know, a cornerback, a receiver, a running back, kind of a jack-of-all-trades. But I think it's just a great move for him because even if he doesn't contribute immediately, he can redshirt. He's at FIU, you know. So, I mean, this is – I don't think any of the Panthers listening to this will take offense to this. The spotlight at FIU is not what it would be at Ohio State or Miami, right? So it gives him that opportunity to rehab and really kind of find his bearings, not only as a player but as a person being that young. And uh, I think it's a great move for both sides. Certainly interesting to see how that situation will play out. Uh, but I think that's all we really had in terms of the FIU coverage for today. Obviously, we'll have a ton more coming over the next couple of months. And you can check out Eric's uh, coverage of FIU and CUSA at large, uh, of course, um, weekly, pretty much every day at this point on underdogdynasty.com. Uh, you can go ahead and follow him on Twitter as well at Eric C. Henry underscore. You can follow me on Twitter if you want at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. And of course, at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter and Facebook. 
Um, if you haven't already, just subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts already. What are you doing? If you're if you're listening to a football podcast in February, just go ahead and subscribe already. I don't know what you're waiting for. <laughs> or it's March. If you have a calendar, uh, first of all, send it to me and then subscribe to the show so I can uh, not go insane. Um, Thank you all so much for listening. I know this is uh, so much fun for us to keep doing uh, every week Um, and uh, keep coming back every week for more CUSA and G5 football discussion. Happy football watching, everybody. Stay safe and uh, wash your damn hands. (laughs) 